Would you like to discover something new that can enhance your lifestyle? If so, then strap yourself in for the next half hour or so and discover some helpful dialogue relating to an interesting health and happiness topic. Your feedback following the recording will be greatly appreciated and can be shared via email to petra at threequartertime.com.au. Every week, there'll be a new addition to the podcast collection and a PDF summary about each topic can be requested with your feedback. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen, and it is with my great pleasure that I introduce Petra Taylor-Smith and this week's Health and Happiness podcast. Hi, and welcome to Make It Count. This podcast is the second of my second series and is intended to offer food for thought to people over 50. Interviews are a great way of sharing useful information. So now I'm confident that you will hear some great ideas about energy changes. I'm grateful to have a young friend of mine here with me who is very knowledgeable about and highly involved in energy work. Her background is in veterinarian science, but she is now a successful coach to many people wanting to make positive shifts in their life. Kelly Moriarty's business involves working with people to support their success and well-being and I have personally benefited from doing some of her terrific programs. She's the ideal person to ask some questions to about how our energy changes as we mature and what we can do to enhance it for sustained vitality beyond age 50. For this interview, I have a few questions prepared, so let's see how we go at bringing the audience some wonderful insight into this topic. So hello, Kelly. How are you? (laughs) Really well. Thank you, Petra. How are you? I'm really well too, thank you. Thanks for giving up your time with your young family to do this for us. And uh, so up front, I might get you to put in your own words what you believe energy to be and, in fact, how that changes throughout our lives and, in particular, as we get into our maturing years. Well, I think that energy is really just how we feel every day. But more than that, I think, what we assume energy to be is very physical when a lot of our energy is mental because we're essentially, we're emotional, we're human beings, you know, (laughs) and so we are constantly reacting to the world around us and we're responding to other people in the world around us and everyone else's energy and everything. And so the way that we feel emotionally often drives a lot of our physical energy as well. But there are some definite shifts as we go through life, um, especially for women who go through some really major changes usually in their lives from puberty to um, childbearing years, you know, going through childbirth and then um, perimenopause, which can last, you know, eight plus years and then into menopause and beyond you know there are some significant changes that occur in the body that can really influence our energy as well so it's really important to one to know that because you can often feel like what's happening to me what's going on and there can be a very valid reason for that which can make you feel a lot better but also then to uh, respect those those fluctuations and there, there can be daily fluctuations, weekly, monthly, seasonal, and then the seasons of our lives, you know. Yeah, I agree. That's wonderful information. Um, so this awareness is fantastic. And by learning more about how to work with your natural energy flow, you're bound to have better health and happiness. I know that by reading my body's response to things, 
and acting a certain way based on my preferred use of energy, it always helps me to feel right. So for example, having had a busy week at work, I know I'll feel better for having a lazy night on the couch watching a movie rather than planning to go out socialising with lots of people. Would you agree that people in general, and that's being around them and socialising and conversing, is ideally balanced with times of solitude or quiet where you can often spend time in nature or in your own space? I think it's essential really and there's probably two parts to this. The first is that we are generally more either introverted or extroverted. So introverts, the definition in very simple terms is that if you're introverted, you recharge your energy when you are on your own or away from bustle and other people and everything. And then if you are extroverted, being around other people actually energizes you and charges you up. So that's a, a base knowledge to have about yourself, I think, is really uh, useful. And I know for myself, I didn't know that for a really long time. And I also, there's this um, perception, I guess, that that it's normal or it's right to be extroverted, but that introversion is a problem. You know, <laughs> if you're a quieter person, that there's something wrong with you or that you're not as lively or bubbly or happy as someone who's really outgoing and, and gets energized by being around other people. And so for a long time, especially in my young adult years, I would um, put it on, you know, <laughs> I would have to really ramp up my energy output in order to come across as being extroverted and I would just be exhausted at the end of it until I kind of one realized that I was actually an introvert but two then gave myself permission to be an introvert and actually to have that time away so I definitely agree that uh, I believe that we should know really whether we're more introverted or extroverted so that we can manage our energy better but then from another perspective, I do believe that everybody needs time with themselves. And the thing is that most people aren't good at that. <laughs> they don't know what to do when they're on their own or when when everything goes quiet and they're just sitting still with themselves. It's a very challenging place to be in because then you just have yourself, your thoughts, <laughs> and there's nothing to distract you. Um, and part of becoming, you know, emotionally intelligent and really mastering yourself and your life and and your energy is actually getting better at being on your own and getting better at tuning into your body and tuning into your thoughts and your emotions and all of that kind of stuff so I, I agree that it's for some people being around other people is more energizing for some it's not but then everybody really should I believe have time where they're just with themselves, even if at the fir at first it's just learning about your reaction to that time alone. But uh, you get insights about yourself, and and you also start to to think from that original mind rather than being influenced all the time. And we don't just live in a society where people influence us. We have the media, social media. TV, radio, internet, you know, it's just bombarding us nowadays. So it can be very hard to know that our thoughts are our own a lot of the time. So that's where I think having your own time is really important to get clear on what you think, believe, who you are, and actually how your energy is. Because when you are influenced by other people or loud music or bright lights or whatever it is, how you perceive your own energy is, is altered 
And so it's like going back to a baseline. And when you go and spend time alone, especially in nature and things like that, you do get a sense for, oh, this is how I really feel <laughs> without all the other things that are influencing me. Yeah, for sure. And maybe the advantage of people being over 50 is that they've lived a good bit of their life. So they've got to know a lot of these things like, are you more of an extrovert? I also think that maybe throughout our years, we change a little bit because I know I'm not as outgoing, perhaps in the need to be social all the time, whereas once upon a time I was, and I put that down to probably it takes more energy to do things <laughs> you get older, so you do really enjoy putting your feet up more. Yes, yeah, I agree with that too. <laughs> yeah, so different people enhance their energy or have it depleted in various ways. Some are energised by being with others while some are depleted energy-wise from the same experience and we are all different and need to recognise what works best for us and our partners, friends, family, etc. Um, so, Kelly, one of the things you helped me with earlier this year was developing more awareness to my cyclical patterns of energy, and you spoke a lot about the seasons of the year and the seasons of our life. Um, this is relevant to our discussion here today, so would you mind elaborate, elaborating some more on this for us? Yeah, so I touched on that a bit with uh, women in particular. There are, you know, specific and quite significant seasons of our lives that are driven by changes in hormones um, that are beneath everything you know <laughs> like they are they are the setting up a foundation for our energy and how we feel and what's going on in our body so that's one thing but then everyone has seasons of their lives as well where we might be going through something that's really hard um, a grieving period something like that a, a period of great change you know we've all just been through pretty tough couple of years for some people uh, where there's been an, an enormous amount of change, some loss, you know, things like that. Uh, we can have, without a global pandemic, we can also have significant change when we're changing jobs or moving house or things like that. And then there's raising children or perhaps uh, when you do uh, reach the age where you become a grandparent, you know, then you, this is my parents at the moment, <laughs> you know, then you're thrust back into suddenly looking after these uh, very small humans that have a lot more energy than you do. And then the demands on your energy are much greater again. I know when I go and pick my kids up from mum and dad, they're like wiped out on the couch, you know, after a day with, with the rugrats. So um, there are definite seasons of our lives. And by not expecting ourselves to just have this consistent energy we can take a lot of the pressure off of ourselves of of needing to meet these expectations and and they are placed on us by society but they're also placed on us by ourselves because we've been conditioned to think you know every day you get up and you have the same energy and you should be able to do the same tasks and go and work at the same you know output or productivity or whatever and it's not the case and then we have periods of our lives that are that can be, you know, a whole year where your energy is lower because you're grieving a, a, a big loss or because, um, you know, maybe your financial situation has completely changed and it's this huge period of adjustment. We can't really expect ourselves to have all the energy of the year before when we were making much more money or when, you know, the significant other was still around and now we've lost that person or whatever it is we need to give ourselves a little bit more grace and actually tend to our energy in the moment, really. It's like moment to moment this can change, but 
unless we actually ask ourselves, how am I feeling? How is my energy today? It's very hard to know. And of course, then we can't act as such. And I think that's the other part to this is that we can often feel like, okay, I'm, a, I'm pretty tired today. Oh, well, <laughs> I've got, I've still got to do all these things and I've still got to show up to the office. And I've still got to, you know, I've got to go to that coffee date that I said I was going to go to and I've got to get to the shops before five o'clock and we don't give ourselves a break. And so it's one thing to tap into our energy and actually figure out, okay, well, actually, how do I feel and how would I best respond to my energy level right now? And then it's a whole other thing to actually follow through and act on that and do what's best for yourself. That's where I think we get really stuck because we feel guilty, we feel pressure, <laughs> we feel like we don't have permission to to do those things. Yeah, and I, I agree, like with the change of the seasons which we're in at the moment, going from um, winter and now the first week of spring, I've decided to take on all this extra exercise and whatever and I'm coming <laughs> home and, and going, wow, I'm wanting to be in bed earlier. And so, yeah, it definitely has got a part to play, doesn't it? You're noticing the seasonal changes. Yeah, and in the seasons, I mean, before we had artificial lighting and day jobs and all of this, we lived our lives by, by the seasons. You know, we only had certain foods in certain seasons. We couldn't go to Woolies and get year-round strawberries or whatever it was um, or tinned beans and meats and things like that. It, it That didn't happen. So there were seasons where food was plentiful. There were seasons where food wasn't plentiful. It didn't make any sense to go and use all your energy up because you might not be able to replace that energy anytime soon. You know, the days are shorter in winter. It's colder. Um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make biological natural sense to do the same things that you do in winter in spring or summer or autumn. And I think it really pays dividends to, to respect the the natural cycle of things and to um, adjust your energetic output and what you expect of yourself to what's going on with the seasons as well. And even though we still have day jobs and even though we can still go to Woolworths and get food on demand and all of those kinds of things, we do feel different as we go from season to season. We notice things uh, around us are changing. We notice things in ourselves are changing. We tend to want to sleep more in winter, and, and it's not a bad thing. You know, that's kind of what winter's for. It's for sleeping more. And then when we get nice, you know, lovely days in spring, we have a bit more energy. Well, great. We go out, we harvest food, we plant seeds, and uh, we move more, and we socialize, and all of that kind of stuff. And then when we get into the heat of summer. Again, it's not natural to go out and do 12 hours of work on a summer day. You know, it just wouldn't have happened back in the times where we didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have <laughs> all the creature comforts, right? We would have maybe got up early and done a few bits and then we would have probably lounged around by the river the rest of the day. It was too hot to do anything else. And we have these urges. We feel these things in, in us like, oh, it's so hot. I don't want to do much. But again, we push through and we expect a lot of ourselves and society expects a lot of ourselves. So it doesn't need to be that in, when some, the middle of summer comes, we don't do anything anymore. Or when winter comes, we just hibernate. It can just be small changes. You know, we allow ourselves to get to bed a little earlier during winter and we don't we don't beat ourselves up for sleeping in occasionally in winter. Or it might be that in summer, 
uh, during the day, we take an hour or two around that lunchtime period and we do just do a bit less, you know, and we just give ourselves that little bit of seasonal flow that is our bodies are craving it really is is what my opinion is anyway. <laughs> well, I must say one of the things that I'm adding to the podcast is um, 10 fascinating facts about a topic related to what, you know, the podcast is. And so I've done the research following from yours um, about circadian rhythms and very and, much that whole concept of how much natural light impacts on our energy and makes us want to do things. And then, you know, at certain times of the day, you have a lull after you've eaten and your sugar's dropped or whatever. So there's things there that you can be aware of as well as, you know, just the seasons, but everyday rituals. It makes a massive difference. And to throw back to my veterinary days, you know, we, um, in the chicken industry, for example, chickens are kept, you know, they have these massive barns. Um, if they're allowed to move around, they're not caged chickens. So, But they have those massive barns and they have artificial lighting in there and they actually fix the lighting to be on for 12 or so hours a day, even in winter, because if they don't, the chickens don't lay eggs. <laughs> like it, they, they biologically shut down because that, it's not natural to do that. And and scientifically, all we need to do to to stimulate and to trigger literally the creation of an egg or potential new life is to leave the lights on. Like, <laughs> and I think it's a great example because it just goes to show you how significant these changes of just having the lights on can be or, you know, that when the days are getting longer or they're getting shorter. And, again, we sit here under our fluorescent lighting and stuff and do, yeah. do shift work. I mean, when you look at the studies and statistics around shift workers and the impact that that has on health over the years is really significant. Um, so, yeah, that, I thought that was a really good example just to mention there because biologically this is having an impact on us so it's no wonder we feel energy changes and with those chickens if they actually have those longer days i imagine it would in time shorten their lives yeah i mean yeah <laughs> their natural body clock and i suppose that's what circadian rhythms is isn't it your natural body clock and what our energy is telling us to to do at different points yeah so um, the circadian rhythm i just um clarify that so the circadian rhythm is like your day and night switch basically so and a really simple tip there is first thing in the morning to get natural light into your eyes ideally outside so the window does block some of the um, types of uh, frequencies that come through so if you can get outside and get you know natural light into your eyes helps wake you up the light hitting the retina actually um, switches off melatonin which is our sleepy hormone and it stimulates other hormones so that we wake up naturally mm -hmm. and then that helps to allow us to fall asleep easier at night time as well so that that's a really good tip to reset that circadian rhythm which is our natural you know wake up it's daytime okay get get sleepy and fall asleep it's nighttime now and would you agree too, I've done a little bit of research recently into grounding and getting back to earth and standing on grass or sand or, you know, just getting your feet in touch with, with Mother Earth, um, that actually can be re-energising. Yeah, absolutely. And then also because of, because of that, that also can help you sleep at night as well. <laughs> and I mentioned this because sleep's a really big issue for a lot of people and particularly women getting to perimenopause and moving into menopause. 
sleep issues and insomnia can be a massive problem, you know, not getting enough sleep. Um, so anything that you can do to improve your sleep and to improve your energy during the day is, is huge, I think. Yeah, and your hormones changing, I suppose, is a big impact. So if you can make sure you keep your hormones as balanced throughout your um, over 50 years, that's the ideal, isn't it? Well, the hormones, once so once you get to perimenopause, hormones kind of go a bit crazy around that time. And then it, menopause is when menses has ceased for 12 months. So that, that's it's it. That's it after that. And and progesterone and estrogen uh, have dropped right off after that. So that you don't have the fluctuations that occur. But um, because those hormone levels are quite low, energy can be a little bit lower as well. You tend to feel a bit more tired. Um, and actually, now that you've mentioned it, uh, I was just reading before I came on that studies have shown that exercising can increase your energy post-menopause and it's one of those things where if you feel tired, you don't necessarily feel like going out and exercising, but uh, a large percentage of women, there was, I was looking at this study, uh, reported that if they did go and exercise and they generally stayed more active, they had higher energy levels. So I think just keeping moving, you know, once you're in postmenopause, keeping moving is really, really important to maintain your energy levels. Mm. Um, we might just touch briefly to you, you enlightened me um, fantastically about how we all have masculine energy and feminine energy, both mm -hmm. men and women, yeah. and how that would have a bearing on the busyness that we tend to create in our lives. And I loved how you said if you can be a bit more receptive and create a bit more space and just be as a female or using your feminine energy, how much more that probably will sustain us. Absolutely, yeah. The the so essentially the masculine is the doing energy, the feminine is the being energy. Uh, and then if you want to think about it another way, feminine is the receptive. So it's like the womb, the open space. Things come in um, to it, you know, to be to be filled. It's a space, a void to be filled. And then the masculine is more penetrative energy. So it's the one that it's the energy in us that is pushing us forward. It's moving us. It's the, it's the action. It's the going and the doing. And the world is really geared up for that kind of energy. Everything is about going and doing and making stuff happen. Uh, and then the feminine energy on the flip side of that. And like you said, we have both in us, all human beings, we have both in us, but the masculine is definitely more valued in society. And so we've never really been taught about this other side of our energy, which is that being energy. And that's kind of what I was saying before, actually, about, you know, if you, most people when they're on their own and just sitting there and there's no distractions, they don't really know what to do with themselves because they want to do something with themselves. You know, the ability to just be has kind of been forgotten <laughs> in a, a lot of our modern Western culture. So there's a whole other conversation there for sure. But I think um, it's a good conversation to have and something to explore for yourself if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, that makes perfect sense. Like I know most women that I know have, kind of been stuck in that masculine energy their whole lives they've never known anything different and I was the same you know it's like 
do well at school, work really hard. I had part-time jobs while I was at school and then it's off to uni, get good grades there and then off to be a vet and you work a million hours <laughs> as a vet and it's like you just never stop and, and there's no space in your life. And as soon as there is space, your brain has this little freak out like, oh, what am I going to do with it? You know, I need to fill it up. Otherwise, I'm not being productive in uh, inverted commas. Like that's Like that's more valuable than... just doing nothing or being creative or having fun or experiencing pleasure. You know, all of these things are feminine energetics and feminine aspects. And, and we've kind of been taught they're not worth much. They're not that valuable, <laughs> um, you know, focus on the doing and the achieving and the fitting more in. <laughs> but there is so much value in learning to be the art of being, I call it, and and tapping into that creative side of you and giving yourself space to allow opportunities to come in. Because if you just fill your days up every day, then nothing spontaneous can happen. And, and there can be the most brilliant things present themselves, but you don't even see them because you've already got this like plan happening in your head. And, and you kind of miss out on the joy of life if, if that's the way that you function, which most of us, that's where we're at. I think you've given us some great tips there because that's what my next question was going to be um, about <laughs> the over 50 listeners um, because, you know, we will eventually approach that semi-retirement phase or whatever and these are the times where we do give ourselves a bit of space and we do explore our creative side perhaps a little bit more because until you've, you know, if you've raised a family or you've had the career, until you've kind of got that bit more time in your day, you might not have um, prioritised it. But there's no reason to wait till you retire to do that, of course. So all of this has been um, terrific advice, Kelly, and I'm sure that even though you're a young mum with two little ones, you'd agree that at any age it's essential to work with your natural energy flow and where possible to enhance it via activities such as meditation, yoga, rest and relaxation, holidays or at least some time off work and spend moments in nature or with those who can, you know, help you to enjoy some quiet time. So would you like to finish up with any concluding comments or ideas that we haven't covered? Um, I might just touch on what you just sort of getting to there uh, before that last part you were saying about what, you know, when people approach re retirement, they then have plenty of space, they can start doing more creative things, doing things for themselves. I really feel like there's um, it's probably two types of people when they reach that stage in their lives. There's the people that are excited and they go off and start new hobbies and then and they get real busy and they do all of these different things. And then there's the people that don't, <laughs> they just don't and because they don't really know what to do with themselves because they've never had that much space before. They've just worked their whole lives. And so, and, and I think we see examples of this all of the time. Um, and the other thing that I was reading just before I came in here as I was, I was looking some things up. Uh, I remembered this study that I had heard about and I wanted to, to check it. But there was a study done that looked at um, markers or indicators for longevity of how long people, you know, lifespan, how long people were going to live for and what could be an indicator of that. And they looked at things like um, obesity, activity, uh, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, <laughs> you know, some, some pretty serious things that could indicate how long you're going to live for. Despite all of those factors, the most important thing was social support and purpose. Mm.
more important than whether you smoked 15 cigarettes a day or not. It was a better indicator of a longer life than than whether you didn't did or didn't smoke. And I just remembered that study. It stuck out in my brain because I thought, how significant is that? And so what I would finish with, I think, particularly for your listeners, Petra, is, is to embrace these these years which is exactly your message right is to embrace these years as you going into retirement or semi-retirement or whatever it is and regardless of whether you've lost your social support your network via giving everything to your family or your work or whatever it is it's never too late to go and find a new one and create a new one you know and the science is really clear of just how important it is to have social support. And so it's a perfect time to go and meet new people, go and join recreation clubs, you know, take up a new sport or hobby where you're going to meet new people, go and do one of your dinners or drinks nights or play tennis or golf or whatever it is, you know, but, but go and spend time with people and build relationships because it's not only good for you to make you you know it gives you a lot of joy and happiness but it's actually really important for your health to to do that as well Hmm. just perfect thank you kelly for sharing your expertise with our listeners today it's been great interviewing you and i personally think you do an incredible job inspiring and guiding others with your coaching it's time to finish our energy changes podcast now so farewell and thank you everyone for listening thank you kelly thanks petra Petra's podcasts are intended for all over 50s seeking health and happiness. Her website, www.3quartertime.com.au, is where you'll find out all about her events and services. You might also like to investigate her Facebook or Instagram presence. And if you're interested in RSVPing to an event, you'll find links to the Meetup online site where you can book and pay. Petra is from Noosa on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland and her details are available via her website or at LinkedIn. Please share her ideas with your connections and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Here are 10 fun and fascinating facts about energy changes and circadian rhythms. 1. Light is very important because once it hits your eyes, it triggers the brain to produce chemicals that signal the body clock to wake. Preferably access sunlight in the morning and the afternoon which is paleo light and avoid blue light from screens at night. 2. Skin cells are impacted by chemical processes that are regulated by our natural body clock. 3. Our metabolism is impacted upon by circadian rhythms so avoid eating late at night because the process of digestion diminishes. 4. The body's natural rhythm suits two sleeps in a 24-hour cycle and explains why we often experience a slump in the afternoon, thus the reason a nap is encouraged. 5. Staying up late on weekends and waking early on weekdays can upset your circadian rhythms and has a similar effect on the body as jet lag. 6. Lack of quality sleep can lead to memory loss, depression or anxiety, weight gain and unhealthy skin. 7. Avoid caffeine at night to enable a better night's sleep. 8. People have different body clocks. For example, older people wake up early and go to sleep earlier. 
Women have a slightly faster body clock, so they might not be getting as much quality sleep as men. 9. Don't work out or exercise three hours before going to bed, as this physical activity hypes up your heart rate and cortisol levels and makes it harder to fall asleep. And 10. You can boost your immunity by following your circadian rhythms. I hope that these fun and fascinating facts about circadian rhythms helps you and have a good day.